Hello and welcome. We are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hi, Tiffany. How's it going? Uh, it's going. There's cat hair in my microphone. I have beets in my teeth. <laughs> 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 Tiffany, what do you have that's uncomfortably placed somewhere it shouldn't be? I mean, I do need to adjust. I'm staying cross-legged and it's kind of... All right, you guys ready to learn about something that is... Um, I don't want to say good. It's kind of... You guys ready to learn? <laughs> okay. Well, that was the story. That's a great sign. Let's go. Right? Okay, so today we're going to be doing a true crime story. Ooh. I'm going to be covering... Hmm. Yeah. Is this your first true crime? It is our first true crime. Wow. Right? Buckle up. Buckle up, buttercup. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Having said that, I started researching this topic and then realized there was probably enough information to have like two seasons of a podcast on it. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So we're going to have the very bare bones information on the Long Island serial killer. Also known as the Gilgo Beach serial killer. Gilgo? Mm-hmm. How do you spell that? G-I-L-G-O. That makes sense. Also known as the Craigslist Ripper. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> also That's... known as... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ooh. Actually, there was another one on Wiki. I just can't remember what it was. On Wiki. On Wiki. Good old Wiki. <laughs> Good old... That's my pal. I spend a lot of time with Wiki, actually. Um, so... Because there's so much of it and there's a special treat at the end, we're just going to go ahead and dive on in. Dive on in. All right. First note says, lots of info out there. Not enough time to cover it all in detail. Boom. Covered. Bam. 24-year-old escort, Shannon Gilbert. She is where our story starts. Okay. (laughs) That's usually a good sign. Typically, I have notes that are like, 24-year-old escort, Shannon Gilbert, blah, blah, blah. Here, it just says that and then moves on. So... Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, she formerly worked for an agency, but when the agency was shut down, she began to work independently to make more money. On May 1st of 2010, at 2.20 a.m., she calls Michael Pack, who is her driver slash security, and has to be picked up to go to a, a call. Call. A job. Oh, a yeah. job. <laughs> so he takes her to Joseph Brewer's house on Oak Beach. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oak Beach. Oak Nothing Beach. good happens around 3 a.m. on Oak Beach. I know, right? It, how many times did my parents tell me that growing right? up? It's probably the reason I go to bed early. Probably. <laughs> I don't go to Oak Beach. Right? So at some point during the early morning, Joe and Shannon exit the house to run an errand. 15 minutes later, they return and head inside to finish out their evening. Two and a half hours later, Joe comes out and tells Michael that Shannon's freaking out and won't leave the house. So he goes inside to try and get Shannon and she freaks. She apparently at this point calls 911 and starts screaming, they're trying to kill me repeatedly. What? Right? So it's not like she didn't know Michael Pack. Michael Pack was her friend. He went with her a lot on these calls. So yeah, she's freaking out. They're trying to kill me. Joe at some point leaves and is like, you need to get this woman out of my house. We didn't really do anything. I'm not paying. I just need her out. So Michael tries to get her to leave, but eventually gives up and goes back to the car. And when finally uh, Shannon finally leaves, she runs frantically to a neighbor's house and starts banging on the door. Instead of getting in the car with Michael, I don't, I'm confused by this whole situation. Panic. Panic (laughs) does things. This is true. A lot of things I read said that people think she was high on some drugs from when she and Joe left earlier. Um, And drugs do funny things to your brain. 
So Gus Coletti is the neighbor whose door Shannon is pounding on. Um, He tells Shannon he'll call the cops and get help, which he does. Um, At this point, Gus says she took off running into the middle of the street, saw Michael's SUV, then darted back and hid under his boat in his driveway. So she's freaking out. Okay. Michael stops to ask Gus if he sees Shannon. While they're talking, she jumps off or jumps out and takes off running down the street. Uh, she stops by a couple more houses asking for help, and they all call the cops as well. Michael, at this point, is like, you know what? I'm done. He says deuces and leaves. And Gus is, uh, goes to the front of the gated neighborhood because they're in a semi-private neighborhood and waits for the cops. Once they show up because of Gus's call and the other neighbors, not her call. Nobody showed up for her call. Or nobody was dispatched for her call. They do a quick search, but nothing extensive. It's assumed to be a domestic disturbance and they leave. Good job. But did did they talk to her at all? No, they can't find her. Like, they stuck around trying to find her. Oh. Couldn't find her. Assumed it was a domestic disturbance and left. Okay. Um, But nobody was dispatched for her call. And they think it's because she said she was at Jones Beach, but she was actually on Oak Beach. So there's this tiny little strip off of Long Island that's like Jones Beach, Gilgo Beach, Oak Beach. Ah. All one little strip. So like half of Valana is peach tree. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's all something beach. Mm -hmm. Two days later, Shannon's family doesn't know that she's missing, but Mari, her mom, receives a phone call from Dr. Pete Hackett asking if her daughter was with her or if she was still missing. That, that's not a good call. Yeah, that's terrifying. It sounds a little suspicious. Uh, he says he runs a home for wayward girls and he took her in. He claimed to have given her drugs to calm her down and that she left with the driver after that. That'll do it. Just drug her. <laughs> well, he is a doctor, so it could have been like prescription. I don't know. You know what? This is what he said. The look Ashley is giving me. <laughs> so side note, he lives a few houses down from the second house she stopped at. So this is following along right. with the little storyline thank you that's the word i was looking for <laughs> um mari asked how he got her number and he said that shannon listed her as her emergency contact according to mari that would have never happened um they had a rough past and they were just starting to work things out and have a normal relationship and this call that shannon took was a high paying gig and the reason she did it was because she was trying to buy a present for mari for her birthday Aww. so like they were just starting to build this relationship back so mari was like there's no way she'd put me down as her emergency contact so may 3rd 2010 shannon is officially reported missing Dr. Hackett, when investigated, denied making the phone calls, saying he never met Shannon and he didn't have a home for wayward girls. What? It was later discovered that he did, in fact, place the call in question from his wife's phone while in Jersey near Mari. Sound suspicious to anybody? Sound yeah. a little fishy? A lot, of a lot of things have been very suspicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. He wrote two letters to 48 Hours uh, where he claimed that Shannon's boyfriend and driver urged him to call Mari. Quote, these calls were over a year ago now, and exact content is difficult to remember, but at no time during my conversation with Shannon's family, or friends or family, did I suggest I had ever met her or rendered medical care of any sorts. Um, okay. So, turns out, Dr. Hackett once worked as a police surgeon for Suffolk County, which is where this -hmm. stuff took place, and he was known as a serial liar. Oh. He liked to exaggerate events to look like he was more involved than he actually was on things and in 1996 he claimed to be an investigator for the crash of the TWA flight 800 to the local press and basically just embarrassed all of his co-workers because he had nothing to do with it he just wanted to look important uh, he ended up getting fired f- years later for misusing his work cell phone 
Oh. <laughs> Couldn't find any info on that. Yeah, he's going over his text message limit. It's unacceptable. <laughs> but basically, police determine after searching his home, boat, and car that he's just trying to be more involved than he actually is. And he wasn't a suspect. His wife, son, and daughter were home at the time. And they claim that uh, at the time, that it's claimed he rendered medical care to Shannon. And they say this never happened. There was no evidence that he ever drugged or saw her. So he's super suspicious, but cleared as a suspect. Joseph Brewer, the gentleman who made the call, and Michael Pack, the driver, are also cleared as suspects fairly quickly. They did search Joseph Brewer's house and the SUV for Michael Pack, but nothing really turned up. So as time goes on, Mari, Shannon's mom, begins heavily criticizing the police, saying they weren't working hard enough to find her daughter. Remember, no one was dispatched for her phone call, and they didn't connect her with the multiple other 911 calls for quite a while because the calls were coming from Oat Beach and she said that she was on Jones Beach. So some believe it's because of Shannon's profession and others believe it was because of confusion over jurisdiction. Um, the disappearance happened on Long Island, but because she was from New Jersey, they had jurisdiction. So there's right. a lot of confusion there. A lot of little things that added up to a bigger picture of them possibly not having their shit together. Right. Uh, she went missing May 1st, 2010. And by fall, there are no new leads. Enter Officer John Malia and his seven-year-old German Shepherd. <laughs> I love puppies. John had a reputation for finding escaped criminals and murder victims and was convinced he could find Shannon. John remembered the statistic that victims are usually disposed of within 30 feet of the road. So he and Blue, the German Shepherd, began searching <laughs> along Ocean Parkway where Shannon disappeared. Having said that, it took a while, but on December 11th, while searching the marsh along Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach, three miles from Oak Beach, a burlap sack is discovered with decomposing skeletal remains inside. This is like seven months after she officially went missing. Yes. (laughs) It's an audio format. Nobody saw me counting my fingers. Um, Everyone believes they found Shannon. Yay! Huzzah! In all actuality. Is that that really a yay, though? (laughs) It's not a yay. Um, Closure. Spoiler alert, she is dead. (laughs) But they just, this isn't her body. Tiffany giving a true crime story. Spoiler alert. They dead. They dead. Um, In all actuality, the police had discovered Melissa Bartholomew, another young escort who was last seen in July of 2009. Holy moly. Two days later, on December 13th, police discover the skeletal remains of three more women, all wrapped in burlap sacks, all neatly placed in a row, side by side. Huh? Megan Waterman, Maureen Brainard Barnes, and Amber Lynn Costello. All four women, including Melissa Bartholomew, were escorts who advertised on Craigslist and Backpage, just like Shannon. Hmm. With the discovery of the Gilgo Four, as the women were dubbed, on January 25th, 2011, the police announced that they are looking for a serial killer. So let's learn a bit about our, our victims before we continue. Um, Melissa Bartholomew, the first woman found, was a 24-year-old woman last seen July 10th, 2009, outside of her Bronx apartment. By the way, she had five cats and it made me really happy. <laughs> She was from Buffalo, New York, and attended the Continental Beauty School in Buffalo. Oh, yes, girl. Mm-hmm. She worked at Supercuts briefly, but in 2006, her and her boyfriend moved to the Bronx. John Terry, uh, known as Blaze, offered her a job as a hairdresser in New York City and secured her a place to live. 
uh, shortly after that, she split from her boyfriend and began seeing Blaze in an on-again, off-again relationship. And she began advertising on Craigslist and through an escort service called James Bond Entertainment in 2009. James Bond Entertainment? Yes, ma'am. Okay. July 10th, 2009, she had a gig in New York and then deposited $900 into her bank account and disappeared. Terry attempted to report her missing a few days later, but claims he was turned away. Love it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Next woman found was 22-year-old Megan Waterman, who was last seen June 5th, 2010, on hotel surveillance footage. She was from Maine. She had a strained relationship with her mother, and in 2005, she began, or she stopped going to school at the age of 17. She had several run-ins with the law, including possession, stalking, public intoxication, shoplifting. In September of 2006, she gave birth to a daughter. And to be able to support her and her daughter, she began uh, sex work again and disappeared after leaving to see a client at 1.30 in the morning. The next woman found was Maureen Brainard Barnes, a 25-year-old woman, last seen July 9th, 2007. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She had a child at 16 named Caitlin. Ended up marrying the father, but divorced in 2001 uh, when she moved in with her sister. She worked as a card dealer, pizza delivery driver, supermarket cashier. But in 2003, she decided she wanted to become a rapper. And on one of the sites that she was kind of promoting her rap career, I don't know how to describe it. You don't know her the rap lingo? The, her music career? Her yeah. mad lyrical skills, homie. Right. Uh, whatever service she was using to advertise that, she noticed ads for modeling and was like, cool, let's do that. So she uploaded tasteful clothed pictures. But escort services and nude photographers began reaching out. And the money associated with these programs was very appealing. So given that, she began using Craigslist because she could make bank without having to give a cut to the organizations reaching out to her. Uh, Shortly after that, she had another child, this time a son. She worked as a telemarketer and then got let go from her seasonal job. At that point, she ended up switching back to sex work. She had checked into a Super 8 motel and then vanished. A few days later, her driver received a suspicious call from a blocked number. And uh, the caller said Maureen was, quote, at a whorehouse in Queens. Her friend, um, who was her driver, said that she was way too independent for that. And the caller said, quote, well, that's where I saw her. And then gave a detailed description of her, like, down to a T. So that was where she was last seen. Our last victim, Amber Lynn Costello, is a 27-year-old woman, last seen September 2nd, 2010. She is from North Carolina, uh, had a very troubled childhood. At six, she was molested by a neighbor. In 1996, her 19-year-old sister began working at a sex service, and three years later, 16-year-old Amber started her own career. She charged guys in the neighborhood for sex. Later that year, she joined her sister at Coed Confidential. They began doing drugs at parties thrown by their pimp, Teresa. In 2007, Amber married a man in Florida and tried to get her life turned around. She ended up joining his church and working in the nursery. Uh, The two were trying to start a family together, but experienced a miscarriage. And in 2008, one of the couples at the church weren't able to care for their baby, so the Costellos took them in and tried to adopt the baby, but were unable to. I couldn't find out why, but because of this, their marriage suffered. And her husband, Don, claimed to last see her in December of 2008. March 2009, they're officially divorced. There's some arrest for shoplifting. Her sister ended up paying for her plane ticket back to New York, checked her into rehab, and 
everything looked good. Well, shortly after that, she moved to Long Island, began sex work and heroin again, and got a call from a client who was offering her 1500 which her normal rate was 250 Holy crap. Yeah, so she couldn't pass it up, so she left. A couple days later, her roommate noticed she hadn't returned, and when the body was found, the reason they were able to identify it was because her swab from her sister matched to the Gilgo 4 victim. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. So all mm. of this happened back in December 13th of 2010. Think about it. December, New York. Really yeah. cold. Cold. Yeah. Grounds really hard and tough to navigate. So they put their search on pause. While waiting for spring, they start looking back into Shannon's initial suspects for any kind of link to the Gogo 4, but they can't find one. Then they start looking through the Gogo 4's contacts and can't find a link either. The only thing linking them all was Craigslist and Backpage. So at this point, they start looking at the Craigslist um, users, but Craigslist uses an encryption that hides real email addresses, Mm -hmm. and they had a dead end there. They were, you would think, like, follow the IP address. Well, the client that reached out to them was able to hide his IP address somehow. Lovely. Well, it's not even that. You can access it using different IP addresses, too. Fair. But they said that this client was able to hide the IP address somehow, Hmm. which some people think, like, because of this and a few other things later on, that maybe it was somebody in, like, a police situation because they knew how to cover their tracks. They did have one clue, though. One week after her disappearance, Melissa Bartholomew's sister, Amanda, received a call from her sister's phone. The caller ended up calling Melissa and Amanda vulgar names and would call once a week for about a month. And the calls were never longer than three minutes. Hmm. They would ask Amanda if she was a whore like her sister. Uh, They would reveal information about Melissa and Amanda that wasn't common knowledge. And they would always call between 5.30 and 6.30 p.m. So the police tried to trace these calls, but it always traced back to crowded locations like Times Square, Central Park, and things like that. So that even if you figured out the area, mm-hmm. you can possibly... person. Exactly. August 26, 2009, she received the final call where the caller said, I finally killed your sister and I'm watching her body rot. Ugh. The call was traced back close to Gilgo Beach. Terry, the boyfriend, mm-hmm. also received about 30 calls over eight months threatening to kill him. And these were coming from her cell phone? Now, the ones to her sister were, I'm not sure about Terry's, okay. but the caller knew things about Terry, like a description of his back tattoo that not many people knew about. But somehow with all of this, the case still stalls. Fast forward to the spring, March 29th, 2011. Police find a skull, hands, and a forearm about three fourths of a mile from the others on Ocean Parkway. The victim appears to fit the profile, but the body parts were not wrapped in burlap and were not in a neat row like the others were found in. This body was also dismembered while the others weren't. The victim was Jessica Taylor, a 20-year-old escort whose torso had been found back in July of 2003. Oh, my God. In Manorville, New York, which is about an hour inland from the other bodies. And they found all her extremities. Yes, they found. Seven years later. Mm Mm-hmm. They found her skull, hands, and forearm. Jessica was last seen between July 18th or the 21st of 2003. She had been previously arrested for sex work in Washington, D.C., New York City, and Atlantic City. She differed from the GoGo 4, though, because she did not use Craigslist, and she charged significantly less than the Gilgo 4. Six days later, 
April 4th, 2011, the head, hands, and right foot of another body are discovered. Fuck. These belong to Jane Doe number six, whose torso was also found in Man- Manorville, New York in 2000. So what? 2000, and they still hadn't been able to figure out who? No, not much is known about Jane Doe six. They know that she was approximately 5'2", between 18 and 35 years old. And based on the profile of Jessica Taylor and the other bodies found, they believe this victim to be a sex worker as well. Right. That same day, April 4th, two more bodies were found further down the beach. John Doe, a 5'6 Asian man between the age of 17 and 23 years old. He was found wearing women's clothing. Again, based on profiles, they think this was possibly a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to be brief with this part. Baby Doe, mm. a female between the ages of 18 and 32 months old. Baby Doe was linked to Jane Doe number three. What? So Who we have Jane Doe six and Jane Doe three. Yes. So Who's, there's six unidentified well, people well jane doe number three is what she is known as in like the list of unknown so it's the second jane doe for this case, case. but there are multiple jane does in the system okay okay yeah so who is jane doe number three well she is the previous owner of the skeletal remains and jewelry found seven days later april 11th 2011 10 miles away on jones beach now, remember, we've got Jones Beach, Gilgo Beach, and Oak Beach all in this little strip. Mm-hmm. So she was found 10 miles away on Jones Beach. No head or torso. DNA found on the jewelry, though, matched baby doe. So some believe Jane Doe number three is, quote, peaches, which is a Jane Doe whose torso was found in 1997. Oh, my God. She was an African-American sex worker with a peach tattoo and a scar from a C-section. She was found by a hiker in a green Rubbermaid container wrapped in a black bag and floral pillowcase. So a little different than the remains found previously. Right. That same day, uh, April 11th, the same day she was discovered on Jones Beach, Jane Doe number seven was discovered on Toby Beach. I wish the listeners could see the like faces that you two just made <laughs> at me. All that was found were a skull and a few teeth. These remains have been linked to a garbage bag full of severed legs discovered on Fire Island in I'm, 1996. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. A garbage bag full of just severed legs? Yes, ma'am. Why? Found in 1996. Because they didn't need the legs, obviously. <laughs> Everyone needs their legs. <laughs> fair. But to be fair, she's not the first one found without legs. So that's that. Uh. <laughs> okay, let's recap. So what do we know so far? Lots of people died between 1996 and 2011. In a very specific area of Long Island. Yeah. Exactly. Ten bodies have been found so far, and none of them belong to Shannon Gilbert. Seven of the ten were believed to be sex workers. How did they just now find all of those bodies? Like, they've never had police search in those areas before? I mean, so we say beach, like Jones Beach, Gilgo Beach, Oak Beach, but they're really marshlands. It's not like you walk out onto sand, but you walk into like brush and right. swamp and it's just not. And how are they just bones? Um, I know some of them, he said skeletal remains. Yeah. It's not really a land or an area that you would wander through unless yeah, you had a Yeah, but I'm imagining reason. if they had other cases where they were looking for stuff and if all these people have been missing for 13 plus 
give or take years. Well, think about this too. Two of the bodies that were found, their torsos were found an hour away. So it's not like all of these bodies went missing in this area. That's true. So Shannon's case was the first time they had a reason to search in this area. In which case, hi, jackpot. (laughs) I mean, no, I I don't mean to be insensitive. No, but I mean, that is accurate mm-hmm. unfortunate but accurate right so i'm gonna give you a quick layout because i just threw a bunch of information at you but we're gonna go from left to right so remember there's from left to right jones beach gilgo beach oak beach okay so first in the lineup is jane doe number three mom to baby doe next is jane doe number seven then come the gilgo four amanda melissa maureen megan next is the asian male followed by jessica taylor Followed by Jane Doe number six, which Jessica Taylor and Jane Doe number six were the two with the torsos in Manorville. And then to the furthest right is Baby Doe. So what about Shannon? Any guesses? Did they never find her? She's not. No, you said spoiler alert. She's dead. Yes. I was going to say she's not dead. Oh, oh, that would be a good theory. Like she'd be the killer. Mm. Oh, but that's not it. No. <laughs> what do they say on Wine and Crime? speculate wildly yes speculate wildly (laughs) we are very good at that she did it (laughs) she she did it it was all shannon um no but i can let you know what happened to her after a quick drink break no Uh. rebecca will you make something up for us yeah (laughs) no no puns no witty banter before the drink break i guess we'd have some wild turkey (laughs) because we're speculating wildly Hey everybody, I'm Joe. I'm Dave. And I'm Mark. And we want to tell you about our podcast, An Hour of Our Time, where we each commit to an hour of research on a topic and then offer you our insight and information for a nice primer on each of those topics. Science, history, warfare, animals, and even listener-requested topics. Here are some examples. This week we are going to talk about Vikings, Chernobyl disaster, reality TV, standardized testing, the John F. Kennedy assassination, Rommel the Desert Fox. We're happy you're here with us today. We're going to talk about hockey. The guy from Sanford and something? Yeah. I'm having the big one. (laughs) (laughs) Snakes, spiders, dark side of things. (laughs) Referring to the animal's cloaca, a peculiar feature for animal species. (laughs) Cloaca. That's the segue to my favorite pastry. It's over fun. I'm hot and wabbits. I'm all hot in a bush. <laughs> Listen to an hour of our time podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Welcome back. Thank about, you. About that dingleberry. Ah, yes. This uh, cliffhanger I have left you on. I keep forgetting that I came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who has dingleberries? I'm gassy, but I think I'm clean. <laughs> so Shannon went missing May 1st, 2010. Mm-hmm. The last discovery that we've talked about was April 11th, 2011. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to December 13th. 2011 Uh, okay police get permission to drain the marsh near dr hackett's house shannon's remains are finally found on oak island face up i'm not wrapped in burlap and not dismembered i'm sorry where oak island 
Oak Beach. Are we Oak- still in New York? Okay. Yeah, sorry. I got irrationally excited about that. Sorry. No. Uh-uh. Sorry. I put Oak Island and it's The Oak curse Beach. of Oak Island. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, her remains are finally found. On- Rebecca's like, what a twist! <laughs> you didn't give me that spoiler. Uh, no, they're finally found on Oak Beach face up, not wrapped in burlap and not dismembered. Her belongings were found a quarter of a mile away a week before and her jeans appeared to have been removed by herself they weren't like ripped and it didn't look like any signs of struggle and they weren't like inside out well i take off my pants i realized that as i was saying i'm thinking of all my clothes in my hamper and they all look like they're taken off by someone with the underwear (laughs) stuck in them yeah because i can't adult apparently (laughs) no just by the time you get home you're like f all of this covering on my nether yeah the sure sign that someone else like i'm in trouble and someone else took off my clothes is the fact that they were neatly The pants were not inside out. The underwear was separated. Everything was in a nice pile. Oh my gosh, she's been kidnapped. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Shannon, for that visual I gave you earlier about the line of bodies and from left yeah. to right, she is closest to Baby Doe and the furthest right on our map. Okay. Okay. There's going to be a picture on the blog of where all Thank the bodies you. were found <laughs> that I found super helpful. After I had already done my research, I found this picture and I was like, like, oh, what the hell? I could have used you like two weeks ago because it did not take me forever to do my notes. That's okay. It's called thorough research and I'm proud of you. I appreciate that. Ah, So before an official cause of death is ruled by the coroner, the police commissioner, Richard Dormer, told the press that the cause of death was accidental. The theory goes that Shannon, being bipolar, in combination with drug and alcohol use, had an episode and ran off into the marsh, got hypothermia, fell, and drowned in the few inches of standing water. But her clothes weren't there. Well, that could have been part of the episode he is uh, telling everybody she could have had. That's true. That is a side effect of hypothermia. Yeah. So the official cause of death four days later, was inconclusive. Oh, official. Yes. Shannon's family hired an independent autopsy, which showed evidence of foul play, but ultimately was determined to be inconclusive as well. They said there was evidence of foul play because her hyoid bone... Hyoid bone. Hyoid bone. Hyoid bone. Hyoid bone. Shoot. Hyoid bone. Her... Damn it. <laughs> hyoid bone. Where Where is this bone in the body? Her hyoid bone. You're like Adam's apple area. So it's not a bone. It is a bone. I said that area, not the actual Adam's apple. <laughs> Jesus. She's- the only bones I know of are the cervical vertebrae it's, that are in it's, your it's, neck. Uh, let me finish my statement. Okay, it's sorry, very tiny. Sorry. sorry. Very tiny. Her hyoid bone. Her hyoid bone was detached, which could potentially mean strangulation. Apparently, it's this really, really tiny bone somewhere in that general area. (laughs) They both pull out their phones. But the reason they can't say it was foul play is because it is possible for that bone to be removed by like scavenger birds or other animals when the body is left out to the elements. Okay. Well, I'm a damn. (laughs) It's the also tongue bone. I was about to say <laughs> lingual bone or tongue bone. So it's like up between the chin and thyroid cartilage. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. In strangulation, that gets damaged and detached. Makes sense. But it could also, being left exposed to the elements, could go away. It also sounds like something that would happen if you fell, unfortunately. Right? In 2012, which her body was found in December of 2011, 
Mari sued Dr. Hackett for the wrongful death of her daughter, but he was never charged with a crime. It was said to be just coincidence that she was found half a mile from his house. And basically, when she had her freak out, if this were the case and it were just her having a freak out and dying by accident, I I guess it does make sense that she's close to Dr. Hackett because that's where she went missing. But it is also super suspicious, especially with his phone calls and everything. But he and his family, after being cleared of the charges, ended up moving to Florida. And that's the last we hear of him. He is not a suspect. So we're going to fast forward to 2015. Because nothing else really happens. There are no new leads. For three years, the case is just kind of cold. Stopped. Yes. 2015, an escort by the name of Leanne. I don't know if that's her real name because it was in quotes. So I'm assuming it's not. But that is what I will refer to her as in the story. Brought forth new information that shed a new light on this case. James Burke, the former chief of police in Suffolk County, was not as sweet and innocent as he appeared. They never are. According to Leanne, at a party about a year after Shannon's disappearance, Officer Burke assaulted her and forced himself on her. This information came to light after he had resigned from his position and was served with 46 months in federal prison for beating a man uh, who was attempting to steal a duffel bag full of sex toys and pornography from his car. He also used corruption within the department to cover up this and other misdoings. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, yes. <laughs> so a man mm-hmm. was trying to steal pornography... A duffel bag of sex toys and pornography. From the police officer's car? His personal vehicle, yes. Okay. And then he beat him and used corruption within the department to cover this up. Um, When it was discovered, he resigned and got 46 months in federal prison. There were other things like drug use and a bunch of other like misdoings that came up during this investigation. And then the incident with Leanne also came out. So he also, back when this case was first coming up, When the FBI tried to step in and help with the case, he refused to let them, Hmm. which seems suspicious. And there are some people who believe the killer is a member of the police force because of the way he's been able to elude. I say he, it could be a she, I don't know, or neither. But the way the killer has been able to elude capture for so long and how they knew to keep the phone calls under three minutes and things like that. So uh, former police chief James Burke is at like the top of a lot of people's list for suspects because he's got the history with the escorts and all this other stuff. And if he were to try and get away with a crime, he has the knowledge behind it to do it. But he has not been charged with anything for the Long Island serial killer crimes. (sighs) Hmm. Another suspect. There's a lot of butts in this case. There are. A lot of them have been cut off, too. That is super insensitive. I'm sorry. Hell, Tiffany. I'm sorry. Look, the way I deal with uncomfortable situations... Is to make sexual innuendos. Is to make jokes. So I'm not trying to be insensitive. I mean, you're not wrong. Right? Thank you. I'm just (laughs) stating cold, hard facts here. Okay, another suspect is John Bitroff. What'd you say? Bitroff. Bitroff. B-I-T-T-R-O-L-F-F. Rolling on the floor, laughing. Fucker. <laughs> uh, rolling on the laughing floor, fucker. Anyway, and why, ta- <laughs> <laughs> why are we talking about John? Him, yes. yes. Well, because John is a carpenter, an avid hunter from Manorville, New York. Okay. He is also the convicted murderer of two sex workers and suspected of murdering another. When did these happen? Back in... The 90s. Hmm. Does Manorville sound familiar to you? Manorville? Mm-hmm. Manorville, Manorville. Manorville I- sounds like um the place where the torsos were found. I was about to say. Oh, 
Okay. I was thinking from like a show or something. No. Torsos, as in Jessica Taylor and Jane Doe number six, where he frequently hunts. Yes. And Jessica Taylor's torso was three miles from his house. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. But... So he actually was caught for the first or for the other two murders because his brother had to give a DNA sample when he was taken into custody for something else. And it came up as a partial match to the two victims that John ended up being charged for. Oh, yeah. So Hmm. I got that partial match, knew it was somebody related to his brother, found him, charged him. But (laughs) there's too many buts. Actually, this one isn't a but. This is more like a and... Or as I put in my notes, not only that, but (laughs) one of his victims, Rita Tangretti, had a daughter. Uh, Her daughter was best friends with Melissa Bartholomew, one of the go-go four. So he's got a lot of connections. Mm -hmm. But is it one killer or is it multiple killers, the Long Island serial killer? Because they can't match this guy to any of the killings on Long Island. It's it's, what? On Long Island. (laughs) It's weird, though, because, like, you think they're all the same, like, dumping ground, but they're all disposed in different manners, Mm -hmm. and serial killers aren't necessarily known to change their M.O. Ah, I'm glad you brought that up. Some people do believe this is the work of one killer whose M.O. and signature just evolved over time because you start off with some of the earlier cases where the bodies are dismembered and the torsos are put out on display. I forgot to mention the torsos were just like out in the open. Oh, great. Yeah. Just put that anywhere. It's fine. Right. So he's got this certain signature, like leaving the bodies in the Rubbermaid container, leaving them or dismembering them. And then it eventually evolves into, okay, I'm finding these workers on Craigslist and I'm going to wrap them in this and put them away. So like, it's just an evolved. That seems backwards though, because usually involving means you're getting more violent and more blatant about it. Whereas like in this case, it sounds backwards. Oh, see, that's a good way to look at it. I had not looked at it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, because it was presented to me in the other fashion. Where things changed. Again, that's just the personal opinion of someone who listens to way too many true crime podcasts, but that sounds backwards. Well, it very well could be, which would lead to the belief others have where this is the work of two or more killers who use this isolated location as a dumping ground, which worked for quite a while. I mean, that is true. Yes. Yeah. So we don't know who the Long Island serial killer is. Cool. It's still an open case. While most people are most believe that Shannon, even though she fit the profile of the killer to a T, her death is considered a coincidence that happened to lead to the discovery of these other 10 plus victims. I say 10 plus because Peaches, Jane Doe number three, mother of baby Doe, is also kind of, if you start digging, she is also a lot like another string of bodies found where the victims had like one had a cherry tattoo and is known as quote cherry in the system. And there were some other similarities to some other victims. So it looked like an MO that was evolving from there. Right. Like um, Pac-Man? Oh, <laughs> Shit, yeah. Um, Sorry. I'm glad I'm not the only insensitive one on the show. <laughs> I don't know why that's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, that's a really weird... It's a really weird MO. Yeah. They liked fruit tattoos, okay? Don't judge them. Yeah, but at one point, you just get to the bananas, and it's just bananas. Well, you also have to keep in mind that in that time period, that was, like, cool. 
like you know how tattoos go through trends Mm -hmm. like the cherry tattoos and the fruit like that was a tattoo trend yeah and if these were young hip girls that were showing off their bodies for their jobs they probably uh were pretty attuned to those trends Mm. Hmm. well there are similarities of the additional victims that go back as far as 1983 but I had to keep this brief-ish because of the the thing at the end that you will find out about. Time constraints? <laughs> yes, time constraints. That's a better way to put it. Th- that's not your bedtime? <laughs> oh, my God. A peek behind the curtain. It's the 11, 12 p.m. I am so sleepy. Um, <laughs> so there are, if you're interested in this, again, there was so much information. You could have multiple seasons of a podcast on this, and we had to keep it kind of brief. There are a ton of books and TV shows and interviews and movies on this topic. But just way too much information for me to put it all in one episode. Um, Mm. I did have two other notes real quick that I just kind of wanted to point out before we transition. A 2004 study published in the American Journal of Epidemiology said that active sex workers are 18 times more likely to be murdered than other women. And according to Scientific American, the FBI estimates between 25 to 50 serial killers active at any point in time. Holy moly. Yay. Yeah. Hope that helps you sleep at night. I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Does not affect you? No. No, it's my time to go with she my has dino. five dogs and 20 cats four and dogs very and noisy cats. turtle you're being very dramatic <laughs> turtle is a noisy son of a bitch <laughs> Bear. he's all like splashy splashy splash feed me and i'm all like girl i want to sleep that's why he's in the living room <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't affect my sleep schedule at all I will say a lot of this stuff starts to freak me out and like I think oh my god I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight and then I realize that whether I know about it or not I still need sleep and it's gonna happen and then I go to bed at 9 p.m. (laughs) except for when ukuleles are around and keep me up till 11 14 ukuleles it sounded like you said ukuleles look except for when ukuleles are around then I just can't control myself I can't you put a ukulele around me and I'm gonna play it and swing my hips in a little grass skirt it's fine can you actually play a ukulele i can play it does it sound good <laughs> no does it she knows how it works yes i know how it works i can play the violin so i can maybe look like i know what i'm doing for a minute because of my hand positioning it is the same strings yeah so like i can kind of look like i know what i'm doing except for i'd hold the ukulele up at my head <laughs> <laughs> be like tiffany that's not how it's played no it's uh, where's my bow it's pizzicato it's fine <laughs> and um, anyway Thank you, Tiffany. No problem. So given our topic, I have a very special guest. This is a good friend of mine from my parents' church. She is wonderful. She does a lot of work with a fantastic organization that we're going to hear about. But I picked my topic just so that we could have Leah on to talk about her organization she works with so without further ado hello leah hi tiffany how are you honey good excellent thank you for coming i really appreciate it i'm excited to be here excellent so could you tell our listeners Whoa. sorry about that <laughs> uh, could you tell our listeners and ashley and rebecca a little bit about the organization you work with okay so out of darkness is a organization that works to reach, rescue, and restore victims of commercial sexual exploitation in the mostly in the greater Atlanta area, although they are expanding down into Macon and have plans to expand across Georgia. Yay, that's really exciting. Yeah. 
Excellent. So um, I knew that the organization you work with, Out of Darkness, is based in Atlanta. So mm-hmm. one, on our blog, we're going to have links to organizations that are across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like what Out of Darkness is doing and the work that you're doing with them. So um, what all do you guys do with Out of Darkness? So my husband and I have been volunteering for four or five years now, and we got involved kind of randomly it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks one morning in church years ago that I really needed to get involved with this I don't know why because we have small children and I didn't really think that I had time because I work full-time and work a second job as well but Out of Darkness is an outreach organization of the Atlanta Dream Center which is a church downtown in Atlanta and they do a number of outreach or um, outreach things, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's activities, all I got. Um, activities, right? Those are those are technical so, words. I understand. Yeah, <laughs> outreach stuff. Um, so, kind of their signature event is Princess Night, and they go out in white vans down to Fulton Industrial, which is a rough, rough area of Atlanta. Mm-hmm every Saturday night and they load up vans. There's a male driver and a female site pastor and just anyone can volunteer to go. And we take long stem red roses and handmade cards with the hotline number. And we just circle around for a couple of hours. And as we see women who are on the street, we get out and the men who are there kind of just watch over us. And the women just stop and offer other women roses and prayer if they want it and if not we just wish them a good evening and move on it's been amazing you know we're building relationships the vans are known they've been out there for 11 or 12 years it's funny my husband did not grow up in the church I did in a very conservative (laughs) church very very conservative (laughs) church so my husband was not raised in a church, and we always laugh about the fact that the first time he ever prayed out loud was actually with a um, with a pimp. Oh, all right, um, right. So like <laughs> church, right? Um, so we are building relationships. As men walk up, they're welcome to pray with the men who are with us, and we are just building relationships. If women want to come in off of the street right then, they can. Oh, wow. That's not a super common thing. For the most part, we are, you know, just talking to them. Sometimes it's really, you know, sometimes it's just um, an older woman on her way home from work, and she may not be somebody who's being exploited she's just tired right Uh you know and it's important to build relationships with them too Mm -hmm. absolutely sometimes it's homeless women who are also incredibly vulnerable oh yeah so we're out there building relationships out of darkness also goes into the strip clubs Mm -hmm. and ministers to women there They've also started a what they call a man van on Friday <laughs> night, and right, and Woo-hoo. exactly, and the man van actually is going into the male strip clubs. Oh wow! And ministering to the men who are working in there. It was really fascinating to me that one of the first nights they were there, 
they went into the locker room because it's not a dressing room in there. <laughs> right. It's much more masculine. Mm-hmm. And when we go in and when we go out on the streets, we don't close our eyes when we pray because, mm-hmm. you, you know, situational awareness. So the man who was in there, he said, you know, we just came out. This is who we are. We just wanted to check on you guys, see mm-hmm. if there's anything you need. And the men who were in there said, you know, we know that you go into the women's strip clubs. We've been waiting oh, for you to come. so happy. You know, <laughs> I know. Yeah. We've been waiting for you to come. Like, oh, and that. they said, you know, the guy said, do you want us to pray with you? And he said, I would love that. So he closed his eyes, which, you know, we're not supposed to. Right. Prayed with them. And he opened his eyes and there was a line of men waiting. standing there waiting. Oh, I love that so much. You know, and we forget as a society that these people that we're exploiting are people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Oh, yes. And they are so in need. Mm-hmm. So we also have jail ministries that you can volunteer and go and partner with women and men mm-hmm. who want, you know, who wants you to come in and pray with them. The deal is like you have to be willing to kind of partner and, and talk about God because mm-hmm. we are a Christian organization. A friend of mine, Jess, who's been with Out of Darkness, she's an employee and we have very few employees. We're mostly volunteer. One of my favorite stories from her is she was working with jail ministry and she had a woman say, Yes, I want you to, I want to, I want somebody to come. Mm -hmm. And she got there and the lady really, (laughs) she was like, yeah, actually, I really just want you to watch my favorite TV shows and come and let me know what's on. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And and Jess was like, all right, I'll do that, but I'm going to leave you a Bible. Mm -hmm. That's the deal. I'll come once a week. (laughs) I'm leaving you a Bible. Uh and they did, and they built a relationship, and wow. she actually came to God doing that. That's really you know? cool. And oh, Jess wow. was like, and I watched some real crazy shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a the reason that she it, was called to it, right? You know, whether she knew it when you guys right. first came in or not, there was right. a reason that it called to her. Exactly. Oh, so, I love that. So we're doing all of that, and that's the reach part of our mission. Okay. And then the rescue is we have a hotline, and our hotline has actually just been approved by Georgia to start training all of the other hotlines in Georgia. Oh, that's awesome. Which is kind of amazing. That is a really big deal. So we have the hotline and they screen very carefully because a lot of times women are not really ready to come out. Right. Mm -hmm. We do rescue under 18, but we do not house under 18. Those are referred to the state of Georgia because we're not equipped to house under 18. Right. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes into housing. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's part of it. And then we have rescue teams that are male and female, and they go and rescue if it's determined that somebody is ready to come out. And then restore, we have three-week safe houses, and we keep them for approximately three weeks. Sometimes it's six weeks. Sometimes it's, you know, it It just varies. Depends on the person. Right. And then we place them in a six-month to a year-long program and help them get all the documents they need because obviously pimps don't really – Let's just take all your stuff with you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. You want to leave? Yeah, here yeah, you go. Here's your license. Social. <laughs> right, yeah, right. No worries. Here's some money to help get you, right. get you back you on your feet. Right. Yeah. We appreciate your time. <laughs> right. So that's kind of our program. And it's amazing the work we're doing. And when you look at how a lot of these women and really our children mm-hmm. are getting into this, I'm so thankful that God brought me into this program. Oh, like, I'm I so love it. 
the average age of somebody entering the life is 11 to 14. Oh my gosh. Mm. That when you gave your presentation at that Wednesday night dinner and you said that my heart sunk. Oh, it broke my heart. So, yeah. yeah. So I've started doing um, our ambassador program and that's like going out into the community and speaking more. Atlanta is definitely, it's one of the hubs Mm -hmm. in the States. We are one of two cities. Las Vegas is the other one that has six entry points. The average pimp here makes $32,000 a week. A week? What? A week. Wow. So there's a very large market. Right. Very. Oh, wow. Um, There's more money made in sexual exploitation here than there is in drugs. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. That's insanity. Now, you had mentioned that the average life expectancy once you were in this industry is... uh, Seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Wait, from the start? From Uh the time you get into this or are put into this, it's Mm -hmm. seven-year life expectancy. On On average. Because of drugs, violence, STDs, abuse, right, HIV, mm-hmm. AIDS, right. So that's why I think it's so important. Well, to- and think about that. Like she said, and the average age that goes into it is eleven to fourteen. So that means yeah. these girls at like eighteen, twenty-four, yeah, are that's, passing away. Right. It just breaks my heart. And all of this before I had a child, I had started finding out that this mm-hmm. stuff was going on. But it seems like once I found out I was pregnant, this whole world opened up to mm-hmm. me that was like, oh, by the way, you need to make sure your child is safe because yeah. this is out there. I didn't realize until probably about a year ago that Atlanta is one of the major sex trafficking mm-hmm. places. And it's just, it's terrifying. Well, and it's one of those things that like is so taboo to talk about. Like, I feel like we're just now barely dipping our toe in it as far as the information that's available. But there's even been cases where young girls have gone missing and it, that wasn't even brought up to their parents as an option yeah. of what could have happened. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's so taboo that like, Police officers don't even know where to go. Like the police officers know that that's an option that this attractive mm-hmm. teenage girl could have been taken for sex trafficking, but it's like they don't even know where to go if that's an option because it's just so closed off. So having organizations like yours that kind of, like you said, build those relationships mm-hmm. and kind of start to gather information could be so beneficial. And you guys are doing it in such a positive way for mm-hmm. these people. You're not accusing them. You're not judging them. You're just trying to build those relationships that could help not just with them, but for potential people being involved in it later down the road. Well, and that's the thing I think is it's important to recognize that they are victims. Right. And whether it is there's so much misinformation there that that is a choice Mm -hmm. when you have no choices. Right. It's not a choice. Right. You know, and when you're coming from brokenness, it's not a choice. Right. I think that's really the important thing to understand is that the vast majority of these women and men, Mm -hmm. um, whether they be the pimps themselves or male, commercial, Mm -hmm. sexually exploited victims, they're not typically coming from great backgrounds. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's usually some type of brokenness there. Even if they look at it and say that this is a choice, most of the time it's not. It's not a choice made out of unlimited options. Yeah, right. it's not like I could go to this Ivy League school or I could make some right. quick cash on the street. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing is that Christ calls us to love. We do take in everyone we're christian based but you know we're trying to reach everyone and so um 
when we look at it, I've had very little sympathy for the pimps, mm-hmm. like at all. Right. Um, because of some things in my own past. But there was a man several months ago who really just, it just touched my heart. Like I said, I don't, I can't speak to them yeah. when we're out on princess night, but I overheard him speaking to my husband and the driver and he was crying and he was giving the number of one of his girls to the site pastor. He has a baby with her. Hmm. Like he knows who we are. Right. Yeah. So he, he w- wants to help her. He wasn't saying like, come rescue her, but he cares about her. Yeah. Right. And he has come from a lifetime of being in this. And if, you know, if you've been in this forever, mm-hmm. what else do you do? Right. Yeah. I'm not saying he's making the right choices, obviously. Well, no, it's probably but- so glorified because, you know, in the situation where maybe it was like, I don't want to say like a family business because that's, was you him. know, but it's probably glorified. It you was know, for he him. looks like for at him, it truly was. the men in his family mm-hmm. and they have these mm-hmm. fancy cars and live this right. life and they're surrounded by beautiful women. I mean, what well, young about, man wouldn't want that? Think about our culture. Right. And like you guys have talked about like patriarchy and like, mm-hmm. the, but think about like our culture and the music and everything else. Like we have set so many of these men up. I'm not, again, not saying that they're not to blame. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's <laughs> always a choice. Well, society definitely plays a big part. There, you, I think there's a certain level that there is some fault there, too. Oh, yeah. I think the way I see it is, again, not saying that what they're doing is right. But I think that if we don't look at the bigger picture, mm-hmm. it's never going to get solved. No. So just saying you've made a bad choice, you're wrong, and leaving right. it at that is not the way to approach no, it. No, that's not helpful. So well, and we're a very sex positive group for oh, the most absolutely. part here, and we what gave that away? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's just it's so easy, especially you know for a young girl who may enjoy having sex to think like, oh, I'm an attractive young girl, mm-hmm. and then just tumbleweed, not realizing right. what absolutely could actually happen getting involved in something like that. And it's terrifying because I have friends that work in the industry. And like you said, Mm -hmm. it didn't come from like, oh, this looks like fun. Right. You know, and some of them enjoy it and they enjoy the money that they bring home and they work in places that are safe and are Mm -hmm. taken care of. But they've also worked in clubs and places that are not. Right. And some of the stories that they it's just baffling to me how. They'll talk this game that you're protected and that they're going to make sure you're safe. But it's really behind the stage. It's a completely different scenario. And like the champagne rooms and bringing guys back there that aren't supposed to be back there. That's 100 percent. And that's how they get involved in stuff like that. Yeah. And it's just it's so scary to me because I am in case any of our listeners haven't realized a very, very sex positive person. And I talk about it a lot, but that also I found that since I am very vocal about that, a lot of people think that like I am an easier target Yep. because they're like, Oh, you're into this. Okay. Watch out. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no, I'm no, into no, no. this with my husband. Yes. This <laughs> right. is, thank this you. Is, <laughs> I think that that is part of life that everybody experiences and I just kind of have no filter. So I talk about it, but it is not, it's with my husband. It's all good. But I feel like that there's so much pressure to keep all of those things quiet because if you do talk about it, you're automatically like a target, like shunned or shunned or, or, you know, treated like you're a whore or you're whatever, because 
you're open about talking about those things. Yes. And it's awful that especially as women, we can't have those discussions openly Mm -hmm. without being judged one way or another. Either like, oh, like you said, you're an easy target or Mm -hmm. you're a horrible person yeah because you enjoy i don't know it's just such a mixed and i think it goes back to that uh, patriarchy <laughs> thing we've mentioned a couple times on here yeah no it's but it's not it's just good. patriarchy either because women are just as guilty of treating other women like that too very true yes and i think if we could get to a place where it's okay to talk about these things and it's okay to look at others with sympathy and mm-hmm. not judgment yes Maybe we can get to a place where these women and men are being helped more because they need it. And if you're ever in a situation where you're like, I can't get out of this. And then your friend's like, look, you're like, it's really easy to get out of this situation, but you're so engrossed in it. Like, I can only imagine that's the same thing on a much grander scale. Well, there's a lot of books that are out there and I'll give you some resources to share too. But there's a lot of books and resources that are out there that have very strong comparisons between this and single domestic violence cases where you get ingrained in that and you start to value small, mm-hmm. small kindnesses. Right. And pimps are very good at training and it works a lot like gang culture as well where you take someone who doesn't understand what a family is and you give them a family yes and then you also have things like the boyfriend pimp who preys on a young girl and showers her with these beautiful things that sometimes are cheap shiny yeah you know but she doesn't know any better but she doesn't know any better and he loves her yep Mm -hmm. and she has no idea what love is because she's never experienced it right yeah it's it's so so sad so that when he does ask her to do things and ask her to you know and then it becomes demand she's still focused on that he loves me he yeah. loves me and i do anything for him right yep and you see the same thing in domestic violence cases mm-hmm. that it's those small kindnesses oh, that you hold on to that keep people there oh yes oh yeah it's oh it's so sad you know and when you're isolated from everything else you know Right. Or you have nothing else to hold on to. Correct. Right. You know, and that's I think some of this plays into a whole nother issue, which is like you said, these people that grow up with no families and they're in mm-hmm. broken homes. So they go from foster care or yeah. orphanages or whatever the case may be. And then they turn 18 and people just wash their hands of them, yep. you know, and they get thrown out in the streets. And I don't want to say what else are they going to do? Because I know that there are people out there that haven't gone down this path. But a lot of times they get involved in not just the sex work, but the gangs and the theft and everything else. Because like you said, somebody takes them in and sees that they're weak prey and has them do their bidding, basically. They're so highly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other issue for a whole other day is how (laughs) that system works. But yes. That yeah. plays a big role. And I mean, it's basically feeding into the violence and the sex work and everything else and not in a positive way, obviously. No, and I think it's important to know these people are not just in the dangerous parts of Atlanta. They're mm-hmm. in Ackworth. They're in Woodstock. They're in the nice areas. Absolutely. And they don't look scary. No, they don't. So if you see teenagers showing up all of a sudden with really, really nice things. Yeah. Doing drugs, skipping classes, massive behavior changes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Warning signs. Red flags. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Yeah. Hmm. I, I actually brought this up. I was telling a coworker that we were doing mm-hmm. this and he mentioned that a friend he went to junior high with 30 years ago, just recently reconnected with him on Instagram and was like, hey, how have you been? Just so you know, um, I'm promoting my new book. And she fell into that life for 30 years when they moved out to California. Wow circumstances happened and she ended up falling into that and it took her 30 years she got in at 13 she's now 45 i think and she is finally free of it and i'm gonna ask him if we can get her information put out there so you guys can read her book book. but he basically said like he was blown away by like how quickly things tumbled for her and how hard it was for her to get out because that's just not most people don't realize that's a part of life because we all live in our right. own little worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so. and you just don't think about it being like that. You know, you think they just want these young, attractive girls. And once yeah. they hit a certain point that they're just basically free to go about their lives. No. And no. like you said, for her to have been in it for 30 years, technically she's one of the lucky ones. Right. If the average expectancy right. is seven years. Yep. You yeah. know, so she's, you know, I don't want to say lucky because God bless oh, her God. in the situation that she yeah. was put in well and she's probably experienced a massive amount of violence and, absolutely yeah, oh, yeah. you know well and um, she'll struggle with that for the rest of her life yeah. you know yeah she said uh, he told me that her thing was she was trying to find normal again right. but her norm last normal was at 13 right like it's hard to find I mean, her normal, normal is being a, in the sex industry right. you know yeah. that's her normal right now if, right. from bes- what you say 13 13 wow. until you're 40 i mean yeah. that's your normal I think the the moral of the story is compassion and yes. not judging and seeing where you can help, which is why I like what Leah's doing. She volunteers with Out of Darkness, and you recently got volunteer of the month, right? Yeah. Yes, Yay. I'm so Yay. proud of you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so. made me cry. <laughs> no, we had a celebrity. I know, right? It's yeah. pretty fantastic. <laughs> our first celebrity guest. Mm. We can mark that off our bucket list, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mark it off of our vision board. <laughs> no, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. So I spent a much time at the safe house as possible because you know i've told you this before tiffany like it i feel like it heals me more than it heals them and that is amazing to me it mm-hmm. makes me so happy so good well we will make sure to have um information on how you can volunteer at i know a lot of our listeners aren't in the atlanta area but um i'm gonna have links to organizations across the u.s and we'll have information on out of darkness and just show a little compassion show a little kindness realize that everybody who's in these situations most of the time they're not there of their own accord right and like even if they are they're probably still experiencing some really rough stuff and can be shown a little compassion absolutely so to those out there we love you we support you and if you need help there are places willing to help anybody else have anything else they would like to contribute I think we covered most of it. Thank you so much for joining yes, us. Thank Leah, you. Thank you awesome. so much. Thanks for having me. You're one of my favorite people. <laughs> Just putting that out there. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Well, remember, friends, everyone has something that they find odd. Let us tell you why it's not. Sometimes. Why it's not. Sometimes, yes. This is one of those where it's sometimes. If you have any... (laughs) I'm awkward. If you have any questionable (laughs) topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social medias. Links can be found on our website, theladiesestrange.com. Or you can email them to us at theladiesestrange at gmail.com. And just another reminder, this week's blog post, which will have all of the information that you guys will need if you are interested in figuring out what you can do to help or just do your own research there will be a link in the show notes to the blog post yes 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. Or if you want to support, you know, an organization that helps people. What is the term? Victims of commercial sexual exploitation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find that on our website, too. So keep <laughs> it strange, lovelies. Bye-bye. Bye. Go hug someone today. Oh, hugs. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.